Thank you, worship team. I, uh, I uh, asked for some specific things this week, and they rose to the challenge. And so if you've never been part of a team like the worship team and uh, had a, a demanding pastor ask you for something and have to put it together, then you might not understand when I say thank you for having mercy on me and putting the work in and serving so well this week, and, and they're all out of the room. So they'll hear it on the podcast. So <laughs> good morning, church. So excited to be here with you. Um, you know, I laugh that I haven't dismissed the children before. Um, if you're new with us, I'm new with us too. So awesome. I'm about week six or so now uh, on this journey, being a, a part uh, of responding to God's call to be in this community, living like Jesus. And that's what we're trying to do. And so we've been on this, uh, on this journey together, talking about what it, become, what it means to become uh, co-laborers and co-workers to accomplish what God's called us to do right here. And so this morning... Uh, we are going to dive into a text that I think is going to challenge us uh, a lot, and uh, I'm excited for the challenge. Did you all get a rock? I should have one up here. Did you all get a rock? Don't throw it at me till the end. Um, <laughs> let me get at least that far. I may see some things. Oh, yeah, thank you. Uh, and so, yeah, I may say some things that, uh, man, these are tough. I'm going to get hurt if you actually do throw these, so please don't. There's expensive equipment up here, <laughs> but hold on to this. We're going to use it as we, uh, as we close, and so I uh, want to make sure you know that I know that you have those, and I am aware in my peripheral vision over here if you guys start hucking those, but uh, we're going to walk through something, and I titled this message a title that might stir something in you, um, and, uh, and I just want this to be a challenge for us, but the idea of this message is that there are times when it is not time to pray. Did you hear that? There are times when it is not time to pray. There are times when it is time for action. And, uh, and so we're going to dive into uh, an incredible story today. But first, I wanted to talk about just how amazing and powerful prayer is so that you don't think that I'm anti-prayer because I love prayer and I believe in the power of prayer. And I pray and I pray for you and I hope you pray for me. And I hope you pray for each other, and I pray for what God's doing in this community. And so I am not anti-prayer. What I am anti is praying and then not taking any action when we hear from the Lord. And so we're going to get into that a little bit. But I want to talk about the power of prayer. In James chapter 4, I believe it's verse 2. I'll throw this up here for you, I think. Um, James says something amazing about prayer. He says, you want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet because you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. But then I want you to catch this last part. You do not have because you do not ask God. I want you to think about that for a moment. Because the implication of that verse, and we're not going to live in James today. We're actually going to get to Joshua chapter 7. But I want to just let this hit us. The implication of what James is saying here is that things literally happen because we pray. Did you catch that? The implication is you don't have because you don't ask God. That literally is where we get this understanding that prayer changes things. Prayer activates. It's how we partner with the will of God and things actually happen when we pray. And so if prayer is this partnership that we enter into with God to accomplish what God wants to accomplish, why would you say this is no time to pray, Pastor Mike? Well, good. I'm glad you asked. We're going to get there in just a moment. But I want us to be clear. We should pray. Romans 15.30. I love, I love this. Uh, Paul says, I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. We are clearly, clearly encouraged 
to pray. Paul wants us to pray. You know that the disciples asked Jesus how to pray. We could live there, and then I wouldn't get anywhere else today. But, but it's awesome. There's been powerful prayers all throughout the Scripture that God's responded to. Abraham prayed for a son, and he got one. Elijah prayed. We talked about that for drought and, and an end to the rain. Hezekiah prayed for health, and God extended his life by 15 years. Samson prayed for strength. I could use a little of that sometimes. I don't know about you. you know, Paul prayed for healing. Peter prayed, and Dorcas raised from the dead. Jesus, the Lord's Prayer, he prayed on the cross. He prayed in the garden. Prayer is an essential component to the life of the believer. But there are times... When we don't need to be praying, we need to be doing something. So we're going to walk into this. I was thinking, uh, you know, you can stop me if you heard this. Actually, you can't because I have the microphone, but I'll keep going. So, but you've heard this, this parable, this story. There's a man and a flood happens. And as the waters rise, people encourage him, hey, get out of town. The flood's coming in. And he says, no, don't worry about it. I'm praying. God's going to take care of me. The waters hit a certain level and he climbs up onto his roof And someone comes by in a raft and says, hey, get on the raft. The waters are raising. You need to get out of town. He says, don't worry about it. I'm praying God's going to take care of me. Then a motorboat comes by and a rescue team shows up and says, hey, you need to get in the boat. The waters are rising. And he says, oh, don't worry about it. God's going to take care of me. Finally, the water's up to his knees and a helicopter comes by and there's a rope. And they said, grab the rope and we're going to get you out. And he says, I got this. God's going to take care of me. I'm praying. Well, he passes away and he shows up at the pearly gates and he says, God, I prayed and you let me die. And God looks at him and says, what are you doing here? I sent a raft. I sent a boat. I sent a helicopter for you. Why are you here? You see, I think sometimes we can get paralyzed in our prayer when God has given us already a clear direction to take action. And so today, I, I, I'm really hoping that this challenges you. This challenges me in my heart all the time. And so I hope that this is a challenge for you. If you've been journeying with Jesus for a long, long time, I pray that this sticks right in your heart. That this, this truth of God's word just gets in you. Because I'm going to talk to some very specific of us church folk, okay? Some of you have checked out church in the past and you've kind of been uh, not so sure. And part of the reason why you're not so sure is because you got around some believers who talked some talk, come on now, but their lives didn't walk that walk. And so you've been a little skeptical about what it is because you say you believe something, but when I look at your actions, they don't align with what you say. So some of you have kind of done the church thing a little bit and you've been checking it out. And maybe the reason reason that you haven't been engaged in that uh, in that body of believers is because you've looked at that body and said, mm, there's a lot of talk there, but I don't really see the truth of that being lived out in your life. And so so today, I think this uh, this passage that we're going to talk about is going to talk to us. Uh, there's some other areas that it's really going to challenge us. Uh, if if uh, we're going to talk about a lot taking responsibility today, taking responsibility for what God's entrusted us with. And for some of us, we have a issue, and I'm, I'm going to break it down a little bit, where we are leading with compassion, but we do what I think is called maybe a misguided compassion, where we think it's compassionate to be alongside someone who probably needs to hear truth, and instead of giving them truth, we think we're giving them compassion, and instead we become enablers. And, and there's this idea that it's a benefit for the believer to be tolerant. But sometimes the scriptures don't do it. 
they don't allow us. It actually is a little bit clear that as believers, we're required to be a little intolerant. I know no one wants to hear that when someone is. All right, you got it. You know where I'm going. Where someone's out of order there. So, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to talk a little bit about those of us believers. Come on now. This is going to sting a little bit. We're very quick to say, I'll pray for you. And you know how many times I've heard someone look at me in the eye and say, yeah, I'll pray for you. And that's the end of that relationship. That's the end of that conversation. There's no action that goes with those words. Come on, we're all guilty of that. I've heard what you're going through. I'll be praying for you, but I'll also be distancing myself from your dilemma. Right? I'll pray from here. Jesus, help them as I escape. Right? So I'm going to talk a little bit about us, those of us that do that. And then uh, I'm just going to talk a little bit about how when we're connected to someone who's being irresponsible, that it affects more than just them. It affects everyone who is connected. And so some of you have been for a long time connected to some unhealthy irresponsibility. And we've been just kind of praying that that would go away. And maybe, just maybe, it's time to take some action. So most of you are with me now. I think we're, we're, we're there. So we're going to get into the Word today. We're in Joshua chapter 7. And before I get to Joshua chapter 7, I have to tell you what's happening in the story right now so we're all on the same page. When you think of Joshua, there's some pretty amazing, uh, I mean, Joshua is one of the most amazing leaders in all of history. And he got to experience some of the most incredible and uh, just miraculous moments of God. He was Moses's right-hand man, and he was the one who took the leadership of the Israelite people when Moses handed it off and actually led them into the promised land. And so he was a military leader. So what's happening in Joshua chapter 7 is about 650 years before that, there was a guy named Abraham. And we know Abraham's story. We know God called him at a very old age. He had a kid. It was exciting. God's like, you're going to the promised land. He goes to the promised land. He he gets to see it. And then all of a sudden, this famine hits the land. There's about 45 people in his family. And God moves the family into Egypt. And that's the story of Joseph. And there's all this incredible stuff that happens. And then for 400 years, this group of about 45 family members become a nation in Egypt. And now they're like two to four million of them over the course of 400 years, okay? And there's just this giant, giant group of people. And then you see Moses and let my people go and the plagues and the parting of the Red Sea. Come on, you guys are with me, right? All of these things happen and Moses leads the people out. And they get to the cusp of the promised land and some spies go in to check it out. Joshua's one of those spies. They come back and they're like, ooh scary and joshua's like no we can do it and god's like you know what since you guys are all chickens and you guys have been uh disobedient this whole generation is going to go away and the next generation is going to get into the promised land but because joshua and caleb had courage and believed that i could do what i said i was going to do they're going to lead this movement so here's joshua leadership 101 right he is leading the group of people into the promised land and so they get across the uh at the Jordan. They get across the Jordan. There's a miracle that happens, and they're in the promised land. And the first city that they come against is a city called what? Jericho. Right? We know the Jericho story. They march around, and the walls come tumbling down. Some of you who grew up in Sunday school uh, 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 know that story. But i got to talk about this incredible Jericho story, because now I'm in chapter 6. So I'm almost to chapter 7, so you guys know that I'm you know, there. And check me. You can read, read your Bible. You can check me. 
We're in Joshua chapter 6 now. And they come to the first fortified city. Now, there's a couple of things that you should know. One is during that 400-year hiatus from the promised land, another culture has developed in the promised land. And it's the Amorites. And they are as wicked of a people historically that have ever existed. And God is trying to do something. Now, we got to... Process this with me a little bit, okay, guys? We got to realize that culturally, you know, this is, this is a long, long time ago, and things are a little bit different at this time, and God is trying to establish a chosen people who lives differently. And as a result, God has told this couple of million people that are moving into a place where people already live, your job is to wipe out this wicked culture that exists here. And I mean, by wicked, I mean child sacrifice. It's just as bad as it can get, okay? This is an awful culture. And God's like, you can't, you're going to inhabit this land, but you can't live alongside these people. So you're going to have to wipe them out. So for us, sometimes in our modern sensibilities, it's tough to read some of these stories because we naturally go, man, I can't believe God would do that. But you got to get a big picture of the idea that God is saying we have got to establish a culture that's different than this culture that has gotten so wicked and so so you're with me they come to the first fortified city now there's a thing about when you're trying to get into God's will the first city that you got to conquer the first thing that you got to conquer when I'm when I'm trying to change my life when I'm trying to walk back towards what God's promised me when I'm trying to move in that direction come on now the first thing that that I got to tackle is usually the most fortified difficult thing it's taken root in my heart it's part of my life and God wants me to have complete victory over it but I am I the only one you got you guys with me you know where I'm going here all right, there's some blank stares right here right now. Like, I don't want to think about my own life. I'm not sure if that's what's happening here, but let's get real, okay? Sometimes the first thing that we walk into is a big deal, and that's what Jericho was. It's a fortified city. It has walls. It has an army, and they're looking at a bunch of guys who are first generation. They never fought anybody before. They didn't even come, you know, they're just, they're born in the wilderness. They're nomads, okay? They don't have, like, the same kind of tools and weaponry, and they're looking out their walls at this bunch of chumps and said what do you got this is our city you can't have it so god does something amazing he says i'm going to give you the strategy i'm going to give you the strategy you can read this on how you're going to defeat jericho and god's establishing something that when you need to overcome those fortified cities those fortified things in your lives it's not going to be because you're so awesome right it's not going to be because you're so awesome. It's going to be because I'm awesome and I've called you to a place of victory. So the battle strategy is literally insane. He speaks to Joshua and he says, okay, here's the battle strategy for Jericho, the first city that you're going to take down. I want you to go to the city and I want you to walk around it and I want you to shut your mouth. That's the plan. So can you imagine Joshua? Right. Moses has been the leader. So no one wants to follow Moses. Let's face it. Right. Moses is like, throw my staff down. It's a snake. Pick it up. You know, plagues of frogs. I mean, like Moses is like the man. And now here's Joshua, his first leadership thing. We got to take this city. Can you imagine his generals? They're all kids, basically young guys. They're like, never fought a battle. Sir, how are we going to take the city? Here's what the Lord said. Here's what the Lord said. You and I and all of these folks, we're going to march a circle around the building. Okay, and then what? And then we're going to shut our mouth. Okay, and then what? That's it. That's the work for the day. Um, okay, and then what? And then tomorrow? Yeah, cool. Tomorrow we're going to get up. Okay, and then what? And then we're going to do it again. Wait, wait, wait. Your strategy that the Lord's given us is we're going to march around the city, but we're not even going to say anything. We're just going to quietly do it. 
And then at the end, that's the whole strategy. Yeah, that's the whole strategy. Okay, so then what? We're going to do it again. Okay. And then what? And then we're going to do it again. Okay, seven times, right? And then we're going to do it again. And then what happens on the seventh day? Okay, the seventh day is going to be really exciting. On the seventh day, we're going to do it seven times. Seriously. And then what? Oh, oh, I forgot to tell you the best part. At the end of seven times, on the seventh day, we're all going to just yell as loud as we can. Okay, and then what? And then God's going to give us the city. Um, <laughs> Joshua, just so you know, those guys don't want to just give us their city. And so marching around the walls and screaming at the top of our lungs is not a very effective, that's not a very effective battle strategy, right? I'm not insane. Anybody here? I know we have a military community out here. Can you imagine if that was what I, I just I'm lost even just thinking about how insane that information must have been to process through the camp. Can you imagine about the fourth day of just walking around quietly? Seriously, God, this is our strategy to win the city. OK, here we go. And then they but they do it. That's amazing that they do it. Even that they do it is just a testimony that God can do miracles because I can't imagine you convincing me to even do that. But if you, but if you did and God did this, then it's amazing. So what happens, it's insane. And at the, at the end of the seventh time of walking around, basically the entire military is gathered. They're looking over the city at these knuckleheads that are just walking around the city. I'm sure they're just like throwing things at them. You know, <laughs> but, but they shout. And then God does a miracle, and the walls collapse. Now, where's all these military guys? They're up on the walls. Essentially, this city is undefended, and they march into the first most fortified city. And as they encounter almost no resistance, they come through, and they just wipe out the city. It, they save Rahab. There's an interesting story there. And, and, but essentially, they just wipe out the city. Now, you have to catch, because God had a couple of rules for them. Uh, Joshua 6, 18, he says, so you're, this is what's going to happen. But as it happens, God tells them, but keep away from the devoted things. So you won't bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you'll make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. Now, this is intriguing. Why did God do this? I think God did this because this is the first thing, the first victory, the first spoils of war, the first thing. And I think God was establishing I think God was establishing that the first thing is mine. You're going to learn dependence on me, and you're going to learn that the first thing that you encounter, that first victory, come on, it's not a tithing message, so everybody relax, right? But the first, the first amount of blessing that God provides, we give that back to him in thanks. He says, that's what you do. And so those things are yours. You didn't win the city. You didn't do the work. I want you to learn dependence on me, and I want you to learn that the spoils of the victory of what God puts in your life, the first piece of that belongs to who? God. He's teaching them. He also doesn't want them intermixing with some of the stuff that's in that city, so he's establishing right away you can look at some things that look good and not take them into your life, right? You can move past those things. So he's teaching them how to do that. God wants them to understand that that stuff belongs, that God comes first, some of us, if you don't hear anything else today, that, that, that was, you needed to hear that, right? God brings the increase. He gets the blessing, the provision of the first part of that increase. And, okay, you, you know where I'm going. Okay, believe it. Joshua, so we get to chapter 7. We're, ca- we're caught up in the story now. They've defeated the city. They've walked through. They've had a victory. Did they do anything special? They were just obedient. God did the work, right? Joshua chapter 7 says, but the Israelites acted what? 
unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things. And I love this because they want to be very specific. I love that it's a historical document and, and not just some, you know, some story or some fable. So they're very clear. They want you to know who messed up. So Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah. I mean, that's laser specific. I just want you to know it was that guy who did this. Okay. I was listening. That guy didn't listen. This guy right there. Five, nine, brown hair, that one. Achan, son of Carmi, son of Zimri, son of Zerah, the tribe of Judah. He took some of them, says, so the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now think about that. It doesn't burn against Achan. It burned against Israel. Why? Because the command was to the community. The command was to the group of them. They were one. They needed to be unified. They needed to be underneath the will of God. Achan is not singled out by the Lord, but, you know, we make sure we know who he is. So, verse 2, it says, Now Joshua sent men from from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, to the east of Bethel. Now, why are those details important? They're important because this is history. This is, if you were living at this time and you read this manuscript, you'd go, oh yeah, they were at Jericho. We've seen the ruins to Jericho and they go east and they get to Beth-Avon and they go to Ai. That's right where they are. It's history. He's telling the story of what happened here. And then and it says, he told them, go up and spy out the region. So those men went up and spied out Ai. Now, here's interesting things. Up until this point, every move they've made has had a component. The Lord said, and then they did. The Lord said, and then they did. They consulted the Lord, and then they did. But now they've experienced a little victory, right? They got their money signs up. Woo-woo! We're tough. We've accomplished something. So I can handle it from here, Jesus. I got this, God. Now I know that I can, if we can beat Jericho, come on now. We're something special. Let's go check out the next city that God's promised us. And so they go up there and they spy out the land. Joshua is now calling the shots. Verse 3, when they returned to Joshua, they said, not all the people will have to go up against Ai. Send two or 3,000 men to take it. And don't worry, all the army or all the people. There's only a few men there. I love this. Once again, whose plan is this? Yeah, it's Joshua and his couple of spies. They're, they're making the moves now. They've got this thing figured out. We've got a strategy. That next town is nothing compared to Jericho. And did you see the way we wiped the floor with Jericho? Did you see how good we are? Just send a few thousand guys up there. Don't get everyone tired. That's work. It's hard work to walk all the way over there and defeat these people. Just send a few thousand of the tough guys and we'll take care of business, okay? So that's what happens. Verse 4 says, so about 3,000 men went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai. Verse 5, who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. And at this, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. They went straight from incredible, insane, amazing, miraculous victory to tails between their legs, puppy dogs. What happened? I thought God was going to just let us cruise along. We were just going to wipe everything out. There was going to be no uh, pressure here, no pressure points. We were just basically going to show up and experience victory. Now, listen, I told you earlier that Joshua was one of the most incredible anointed leaders in all of history, not just in scripture, uh, but we're about to see him not at his best. 
Okay, so this this little story, this nugget right here, this isn't his high water moment. And I don't know about you, but when I've experienced some crisis, I'm very seldom at my best. Usually what comes out of me in that moment is a little bit of anger, a little bit of attitude, a little bit of the blame game, a little bit of God, you should have, why didn't, who could have, how come, and a little bit of, um, you know, is this really my responsibility? So we're about to see Joshua be a human here, okay? So have a little mercy because you, you know, might be ahead of me in the story, but just experience where he is. Verse 6, they come home. They sent 3,000. They're now at 2,900 and 50 something of them left, right? And they're wiped out and they're afraid. In verse 6, it says, Then Joshua, he tore his clothes and he fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord and he remained there till evening. And it says, And the elders of, the Israel, of Israel, they did the same and they sprinkled dust on their heads. So they're like mourning and they're like, God, why? But verse 7, this is awesome. So then Joshua said, Ah, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us to the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Oh, Lord, what can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country, they're going to hear about this. They're going to surround us. They're going to wipe out your, our name from the earth. What then will you do for your great name? You've got to think about this for just a second. God, how could you let this happen to me? How could you let this happen to us? Aren't you stronger than this? Then I love this. He punks God, right? This is the same way we the same thing we do in, in athletic competitions, right? Oh, no one's even going to remember you. God, you, if you don't do something now, you're done. It's over. God, why did you fail? Why did you mess up? And not only why did you mess up, do you understand, God, the consequences of you messing up? Like, I'm going to school God. This is what's at stake. You may not have thought this through, God, but because you didn't let us win and let me get my way, come on now, because you didn't let what I wanted to have happen happen, now your name is mud. Wow. There's some, uh, some moxie, I'll say. That's the word I'll say. There's some moxie behind that prayer. But God's big. He can handle it. But I love what's next because it's about to get real. <laughs> it's about to get real. Here comes the Lord, right? He's going to respond. I don't know if you've ever had a, a transparent moment with the Lord when you're just like, ah, and then all of a sudden the Lord just kind of responds in your heart and you're like, oh, crud, this is really my problem, not your problem, right? So that's about what's, the, what's about to happen, okay? So I just want you to catch this because this is, if, if you miss this, it's so rich because the Lord responds. Verse 10, it says, then the Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Remember, he's been down on his face for like a whole day. Just laying down on his face, sprinkling dirt on himself, trying to prostrate himself and make himself look particularly abject and sorrowful and as a point of disgrace. And he's praying. He does that for a whole day before he even invites God into the conversation. He just wants to establish that, you know, hey, I'm in the dirt, God. So what are you doing? And then he finally lifts his voice and he's like, you let us lose. You're going to get burned by this. Right. And God looks down at him and God's reply is, hey, get up. Stop wallowing in this prayer moment and do what I've called you and told you to do. Look at what God tells them to do. He says, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. 
uh, they've taken some of the devoted things. They've stolen. They've lied. And they put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites can't stand against the enemies. He said, I already told you what the danger was. That's what's happening here. That's why the Israelites can't stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they've been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to that destruction. Verse 13, go consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. That which is devoted is among you. O Israel, you cannot stand against your enemies until you remove it. He says, get up. Don't sit there in a prayer moment feeling sorry for yourself. Deal with the sin that's in the camp. Deal with the issue. Resolve it. You know what you need to do. Get up and go and do it. This isn't time to spend a whole other day on your face. This is time to get up and take action. Now, you can read the rest of the story, but they do. They go through the camp, and they pull up Achan's tent, and they find silver and gold and idols. And as an example to everyone, they punish him and his whole family for that. They return those things that should have been the Lord's to the Lord's, and they throw everything else back into Jericho. And they rally the troops. They go up to Ai. They wipe them out, and victory happens, and, and God's with them again. But there is just something incredibly powerful about the truth God puts on display when he says, you need to get up off your face and do the thing I've called you to do. They're sitting in the camp. Go and deal with it. So, so there's some things that we see here, some things that we see here that are critical. Now, we know just because of living on the earth that this biblical principle of sowing and reaping is a real thing, that you reap what you sow. But I think what's very clear here in this text is that not only do I reap what I sow, but if you and I are connected, I reap what you sow also. The consequences of your actions are not just your consequences. They're also my consequences. We lost 26 men. We lost a battle. We lost the favor and authority of the Lord because you held on to what you thought you were entitled to. I mean, Achan, let's face it. He's walking through the rubble of a town that they have defeated, and he sees gold and silver. And it, I mean, isn't the first rule of battle like finders keepers? Right? I came in. We fought the battle. We walked through. I mean, I marched just like everyone else did. I shut my mouth and I screamed as loud as I could. And so as I walked through and I find this, you know, when they interview Aiken, he, he admits it. And he says, yeah, I saw him and I wanted him. Now, there's something here. There's something here about this idea because our culture wants you to think that what's good for you is good for you, and what's good for me is good for me, and it doesn't matter what you do because it's good for you, and it doesn't matter what I do but as long as it's good for me. Like, we're not connected. Like, there's not corporate consequences to the choices and decisions that you make. Because Aiken should have been able to say, if Aiken was alive today, hey, you don't have to take those things, but I'm going to go ahead. I'm entitled to do the thing that I want to do. Got serious in here for a second, huh? Culture doesn't want us to, to think that way. But clearly, the Lord says, hey, there are consequences. There are corporate consequences to individual decisions because we're connected. We're connected. 
When you let something into your life or when you stay in a behavior or when there's something running rampant and you and I are connected, I get to deal with the consequences of that. That's part of me. So there's a reason why earlier I said that kind of compassion that says, oh, you know, because here's what we do. Oh, if you just if you just knew how hard they had it. If you just knew, you know, what their home was like or their situation, if you knew what they were going through, then you would excuse the behavior. I mean, you know, Aiken, he probably had a hard time and there was, you know, he was probably positionally looking for some step up in life. And if you just knew, then you'd understand, yeah, that, you know, he's kind of that guy and it's okay because we love him. And we think it's loving to allow that into the camp. That's hard. I don't know if that's hard for you. That's hard for me. That it's more loving to confront. That it's more loving to be honest. That it's more loving to deal with that reality. That's a hard truth. But it is true. You know it's true. You've experienced rolling around the the rotation and the circle with someone who isn't willing to be held accountable for their actions. And you're making the excuse. And you're on the train with them. And we all know the definition of insanity is you keep doing the same thing over and over again and you hope for a different result, right? We know that definition of insanity and we know that it's insane, but we think, oh, just compassion. I just love them. I just love them. And here's God saying, get up off your face and be the first to be honest, to deal with the thing. That's hard. That's not easy. But here's God saying that results of being connected to somebody, it's irresponsibility. It's a community thing. I wrote this down and I have to read it because it's just, it doesn't matter if it's fair or not. It's still true. Right? Sometimes we think it's not fair, but it's not, but it's true. It's not fair that I'm, you know, receiving the consequences of their acting, but it's true. You are. And so... And sometimes we think as believers, like our job is to just be the most compassionate. But that's not true compassion. True compassion is being honest. And having the courage to stand with someone you love and say, this is devastating. And I can help you stop and I'm willing to help you stop, but I'm not willing to help you continue. All right, I got serious in here. We'll move on. The other question that we run into is when is it time to pray versus when is it time to act and to take action? When, when do we hit the line? When does the word of the Lord just tell us it's time to take action? It's time to move. It's time to step forward. There's sin in the camp. There's something you need to deal with. Let me give you just a really easy barometer. If God's already addressed it in his word, you don't have to pray about it. You can just do it. You don't have to pray about should you pay your taxes? You don't have to think about that. It's clear. Should you tell the truth? Right? I know something. Should I tell the truth? It's already been addressed. You don't have to say, oh, I'm just going to keep praying about it and see if God just makes me feel better about doing what he's already said I should do. Right? You don't have to pray about loving your spouse. It's already there. He's already given you some instruction in that. You don't have to pray, oh, God, help me to do it. You just got to do it. Still with me out there, church? Yeah. All right. Nod your hands a little bit. I know you're okay. Some of those rocks got up to about half cocked here, so I'm going to make sure I'll leave that one alone right there. 
I'm going to ask you just two questions. One is, are there areas of your life that you're praying, but you haven't stood up and taken responsibility? I know there are in my life. I've been praying, but I haven't stood up and taken responsibility. Joshua had to stand up and take responsibility. We got to go through the camp and see where this went wrong because we heard from the Lord. And we must not have done what we heard from the Lord. So let's go back and take responsibility. It's not time to have a pity fest. It's not time to say, God, just change the circumstance. Some of us are in circumstances that we created. And we're like, God, just change the circumstance. And he's like, no, you take responsibility. Do what the word has already commanded us to do. It's already directed us. Go be honest. Go repent. Go do the thing you need to do to solve the circumstance. Go deal with the consequence of that. I don't need to hear you to speak that to you. It's in there. Question two, am I in circles with people who are irresponsible and am I somehow allowing or enabling that? You know, in my life, uh, there's a lot of folks in, in my family who have battled addiction. And so I talk about addiction a lot. And my father, um, my stepdad, but my father battled addiction um, basically all his life. There was no time when he didn't battle some kind of addiction. He just traded addictions. You know, some people, they trade addictions. And so from alcohol to pain meds to, you know, workaholism to whatever it is, I mean, there's always an ism going on. And so, so we had that in our, our lives. And, and it was weird because some of the addictions were easier to kind of manage as a family. Right. So like when the alcoholism was a thing, it was really tough because, um, you know, it was an angry drunk. Not everyone gets drunk the same way, but he was angry all the time. But when it went to pain meds, it was actually kind of fun because he was like a happy pain med guy. Like, hey, how's it going? And, and you know, it, it was weird. It was like a whole, I don't want to over spiritualize it, but it was a whole other presence that that particular addiction was a whole nother thing. Right. And so some of them were just kind of easier to deal with. And so as he was into addictions that were easier to deal with, it just became easier to tolerate that particular sense of behavior to just understand that he was going to behave a certain way and he was going to embarrass us at certain times. But there's just, you know, it was just easier to manage it. And all of a sudden it just became like this compassionate thing to just kind of look the other way when this addiction would, would, would cause just devastating consequences in our family. And, and it was like a cross that we just, we just carried the cross. And we just had this person that was battling this thing. And I remember... I remember how painful it was when we came to the conclusion that that wasn't helpful for him or for anyone else. And it didn't happen until my mom couldn't handle it anymore, right? She finally broke. And when she broke, like the dam broke and everything that she was holding from the rest of the family kind of broke. And, and uh, I think I shared a few weeks ago, he had, you know, hit bottom and got into a shootout with the police and they had shot him and he had died on the table. And because of all the stuff in his system, the shock to his system wasn't as great as like it would be for anyone else. And so he came back from that. And, and, you know, as soon as he was back and healthy again, it just spiraled back into these uh, addictions. And it was finally just past the point where anyone could just do it. And, and something happened and we understood, even though we knew it in our heads, we realized that in our lives that our lives were constantly spiraling out of control because we were attached to the consequences of somebody else's decisions. And we were going to have to change that. So I remember the conversation. Ooh, it was hot. This can't be anymore. And he went to recovery. And he lived at a halfway house for recovering addicts. And something happened in that season of his life. So he didn't know this and we didn't know this, but his time before the Lord took him home as a result of all of this trauma to his body was coming. But in that window, we had my dad again. His heart healed, his head came back, 
he rededicated his life to the Lord. I have his Bible. I know what he was highlighting as he was trying to come out of that recovery. He got water baptized again uh, and, and took a, uh, made a declaration of faith. And, and then when he had a heart attack because of just all the stuff on, in his body at age 52, I, listen, that last year was probably, as a grown-up, the best year of his life that I knew. Did we know he only had a year left? We probably suspected there wasn't too much time left. But, oh, my goodness, that we took a stand against that irresponsibility and just were honest that your irresponsibility is devastating my life. I can't be in a circle with that irresponsibility anymore. I can't just keep praying that you change because I know my role. I know what the scriptures tell me to do when I have a problem with somebody and I have to have the courage to go and confront. I know it's hard. Listen, I gave you guys each a rock and and I want you to, to just hold on to that. Now, you don't know this yet, but there's a marker in your pocket in front of you, like a Sharpie and you can grab that. I didn't tell you at the beginning because I was afraid that that would be just too distracting for everybody. There'd be Sharpies written and stuff all over the back of the chairs. So you can grab a Sharpie. In just a moment, the band is going to play. The rock won't move. And and here's what I just want to challenge us to do. I'm going to take us through just a whirlwind tour of some of the truths, uh, some of the things that God's already spoken, okay? This This was therapeutic for your pastor, okay? I had to go through the word and say, what are some things? And there's way more than just this. But these are some of the things that just jumped out. And as these things come up, I'm going to give you... Now, I don't usually just kind of give you like a one-hit scripture. Usually we walk through a whole text. And so feel free to look it up and make sure that I'm not just like trying to manipulate you with the scriptures. I don't want to do that, okay? But, but I'm going to give you uh, uh, just a, a, the reason or where God kind of declares this truth, okay? And you can look up the address if you want. But here's what I want you to do. As these things fly through, if there's something that you've been, you've been challenged by hearing this idea of God's already spoken these things and you just need to understand this rock's not going to move. God's already spoken that you should do this, that you can do this, that he'll be with you as you do this, then I want you to just jot that down on your rock. There might be just one thing. There might be a couple things. You might have to steal somebody else's rock. There's more in the back. Whatever it is, you might need to write it on your hand for later. But I'm going to walk you through them real quick. Here's a few of them, okay? Um, That you can flee temptation. You don't have to pray that you'll flee temptation. God's already said that he will provide a way out when you're tempted. You just have to do that. Some of us that are like, ooh, that temptation's got me. I'm coming back. No, that's not what the scripture says. God says that he will help you flee temptation. Next one. Um, I'm just going to run through them. Courage, being brave. Some of you are just praying, God, I just wish I was brave. He's saying, hey, I've commanded you to be brave. Just go do it. Just go do it. I'll be with you. Next one, uh, forgive. Oh, whoo. this is for us, right? God, I just can't get over this because, because I feel like there's just too much weight, too much stuff that I've done. He's saying, hey, when you confess that, that's dealt with. You don't have to keep coming back to that. I paid the price so that you can be forgiven. That's done. Forgiving. Whoo. Not just you forgiven. Some of you are like, God, just help me forgive that person. And you've just been you been on your floor throwing dirt on your face, just saying, God, how come I can't forgive him? How come I can't do it? 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 God's saying, I've already spoken to what's required of you in this area. You can do it. It's in the word. You have to do it as a follower of me because you've received that same forgiveness that you need to give. 
Now, we can talk about that forgiveness doesn't mean I fully restore trust. Come on, we know that. We'll get there, you know, we'll walk through some of that stuff. But it is not optional to us that say Jesus is first in our life to forgive others. It's not an option for us. What else? Choosing wisdom. God, I just never do the right thing. He's like, hey, why don't you dialogue with me about that? I'll give you wisdom. Next one. Don't quit doing good specifically. Some of you, I'm done. I did it already. I tried the best I could. I'm out. You don't have permission to think that way. God, I'm quitting. Really? All right. Good luck with that. Loving our enemies. Whoo, that hurts. You don't have permission to not love. Too many negatives. To quit loving. You don't have permission. Trusting is different. Loving is not optional. To be generous. God, I just really pray, you know, that I'd have the opportunity to be generous. Give me a chance to be generous. Um, no. Go be generous. It's already in here. Do it. Be humble. Woo, I don't even want to talk about that one. Be patient. That one's maybe on my rock, right? Which one's on your rock? Patience? Be peaceful. What else? Woo, put God first. Some of you are in the room and you're thinking, you know what I haven't done? I keep just waiting for God to really show up in such a way that I'll finally go ahead and put him first. I'll finally take that step. I'm just, I'm just hanging out. I'm just chilling, thinking someday, somewhere, I'm going to keep just kind of having a, you know, inward dialogue with God. And he's saying, you don't have to keep thinking about that. You can take that step. That could be on your rock. Yeah. Ooh, to serve. I'm so afraid I'm going to get abused. Someone's going to take advantage of me. We've been there. Yeah. What else? Oh, don't judge. Don't condemn. Forgive and give. Those are Jesus's word. Those could be, those could be in red. Don't do those things. You don't have to pray. God, help me to not judge. Don't judge. It's already in here. Stop doing it. Stop doing it. Be joyful. God, I don't have any joy. Be joyful. Give cheerfully. I won't land there for too long. I'll just let you think about that. Yeah, what else? Are we there at the end? Is that the last one? So here's what's going to happen. We're going to wrap this up. we got about three, four minutes. The band is going gonna, is gonna to play this song, The Rock Won't Move. And there's some rocks that won't move. And as they're playing it, these, this slide is just going to keep going through. And I just want to invite you to be honest with the Lord. What are the things? The rocks that aren't going to move. You've been waiting for something to move. That's not going to move. You just need to choose to be wise. You just need to choose to forgive. You need to actually get up off your face and do it. I don't know what it is for you. Whatever it is, I want to invite you to do that. So would you stand and we're going to worship. And as, as you need to, you can write. And when you're done, you can just worship.
moment I'm just so incredibly aware of how how heavy it is to trust you in this way to take our our deep things and put them into action and to trust that you are who you say you are and you can and will do what you say you can do but God that's what faith is it's us believing that you are who you say you are and you'll do what you say you will do so God increase our faith I pray in the, in the same way you invited the Israelites to constantly make altars to remember the promises of God so we don't drift too far away so that we stay anchored to the truth. I pray that your truth would hold us fast. I pray for courage. God, it doesn't mean, mean it's easy. You never, you never gave us a promise. This will be easy. But God, you promised to be with us. And you promised that you're just. And that your grace is made perfect. Your power is made perfect in our weakness. Your grace is sufficient for us. So we put our trust in you. And we thank you. And we love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. We're, we're just about there. I just uh, I want to give you one commercial. And Marshall's going to come up. And the commercials uh, for next week.
next week, uh, the message is titled, Failure is Not Fatal. And some of us just need to understand that we take steps of faith and it doesn't always work out. And so, uh, so if that's you, you need to hear that, you know someone who needs to hear that, make sure uh, that they're here and that they're with us next week. And Marshall's going to come and give us some uh, closing instructions.